Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. It's our conversation every week about food, hunger, passion, and making a difference in the world. We always have amazing guests, and we have not let you down today. Uh, I am here with Rachel Sumek, who is the founder of an amazing organization called Swipe Out Hunger. Rachel and Swipe Out Hunger focus on hunger on college campuses and among college students. It's turned out to be a much more serious problem than most people are aware. We're going to talk about it and the innovative solutions. For the second year in a row, Nutella is partnering with No Kid Hungry to give back this holiday season and connect kids across the country to breakfast. Through our partnership, Nutella will help connect kids with up to 6 million meals and still counting. You can pick up a special holiday-themed jar at your favorite grocery store or visit Nutella.com to learn more. Welcome, Rachel. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you for having me, Billy. Really an honor to be on the podcast. Uh, and Rachel, where are you right now? I'm usually in D.C., but I'm in Boston and uh, just want to get the coordinates of where you are. I am in always sunny Los Angeles, California. Well, you're lucky. Which is where I'm very happy to be born and raised. Uh, and where you went to school, I believe, at UCLA. And uh, it was during your time there, if I'm correct, that uh, Swipe Out Hunger was born. Is that right? That is correct. Um, I came onto the campus at UCLA, a very naive, shy, quiet child of Iranian Jews from Los Angeles, so quintessential, unoffensive Middle Eastern young woman. And as college tends to do, <laughs> opened up my eyes to a lot of challenges and, and no challenge was more obvious and, and in front of us than college student hunger, seeing our peers who were going hungry. So I was radicalized uh, very quickly once I stepped on campus to become a hunger advocate. So talk a little bit about what that looks like. I mean, I think I know what you mean, and I know that there's an origin story for Swipe Out Hunger, but uh, you're Rachel Sumek, you're walking down the campus green or the walkway, and uh, something's happening that's getting your attention. Just tell us about you know, when you say you were radicalized, what did you actually see and hear and feel? I think like most things, it happens in bits and pieces. So it starts with having friends who I see are surviving on rice and beans. Like when I go to their apartments, that is the only two things that they cook. Or friends who open up the cabinet and jokingly show all of the ramen noodle cups that they have. Um, so it's around us. We know that there are students going hungry, but it's been romanticized. Um, and then it comes to the point where a few students on campus want to start a food pantry in 2009, 2010 at UCLA. And this moment where it's like, wow, this is actually a problem that needs a solution. And um, for me, it was when one of my friends, Brian, said, a bunch of us have extra money on our meal plans. These are prepaid meal plans our parents paid for or financial aid has paid for in some way and are going to go to waste. And why should we let that happen when we know that there are people in our community that are hungry? So at first it was us going in the dining hall, physically buying to-go boxes of food, which we handed out to folks we knew were hungry. Um, and then eventually, after many months of negotiation, convincing UCLA to let us donate those extra dollars from our meal plans onto the meal plans of our friends, because there's not, you know, dining halls are a place to get food and calories and amazing nourishing food, but it's also where community happens. And the intersection of food and community is 
present nowhere more than on a college campus once your social life matters. So what was the convincing uh, UCLA part of it about? Were they skeptical? Did they not realize the problem existed? Did they think it would be a bureaucratic headache? Uh, Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, Billy, I'm sure you've had moments where you're sitting across from someone and you're like, this is so obvious. There's a problem and you have a solution (laughs) and we just need to connect these dots. Um, And the challenge, I think, with most bureaucratic things, and we've seen this now, we're on hundreds of college campuses. We've gone from one chapter at UCLA across the country. What we realize is like when you have a large bureaucratic institution, introducing something new is often concerning. You don't know what the implications are going to be, what the cost is going to be. And so there's a reluctance to implement anything new. It doesn't matter how good it is or how much it makes sense. Um, And what mattered in that moment was that we were really angsty teenagers who were not ready to take no for an answer. Well, you know, I think we at one point led (laughs) parallel lives, Rachel. You know, one of the things we always talk about here is how with our effort at Share Our Strength and the No Get Hungry campaign to move breakfast from the cafeteria where kids uh, in public schools would have trouble getting to school early enough to get to the cafeteria before class or there'd be a stigma attached to doing so. Moving breakfast from the cafeteria to the classroom uh, just had a you know absolutely transformative impact on making sure that kids got fed. Uh, it the, almost doubled the, the, the number of kids that were going to get meals if you could provide it in the classroom. But uh, when first put on the table, every single person related to the school system objected to the idea. Uh, and it was, and it, it wasn't because uh, it wasn't a good idea. It was just because it was different and it would require doing some things a little bit differently. And, uh, you know, so there are all these uh, hurdles and I've always thought of our job as, you know, just kind of like knocking down the barriers once the idea is out there. And it sounds like you had to do the same. You just had to just relentlessly knock down whatever barriers existed between uh, these meals, this value that was just sitting there on these meal cards and unlocking them for kids who needed it. Exactly. And I think our job and what we do today for college students and administrators across the country who want to take action on college hunger is prepare them for that rejection. Like have them know what we know that schools or the system is going to push back on and prepare to have a response set up, right? Whether it's costs associated, making sure there are workarounds or it's staffing or it's morale or whatever it might be. As an activist, like we have the chance to share our toolkits with each other to prepare each other for that pushback, which is inevitable. And in a lot of ways is a sign that you're doing something that, that, that needs to be done. How quickly did you, decide that you had to not only do this work uh, at UCLA, but you had to expand to campuses across the country. Was that a kind of an organic growth? Was that your intention from the beginning? It was not our intention from the beginning at all, which makes it very funny that now, you know, 10 years later, I'm still doing this work that (laughs) never imagined myself doing. Um, but we had a bunch of friends who, you know, we were posting on Facebook what we were up to and friends at USC or UC San Diego reaching out and saying, like, how did you do that? And how do I do that? So it was just calls at night with friends from other schools. And then eventually, as we got more press and recognition, people who we were completely unconnected to reaching out. And we ran it at UCLA for about a year or two before we expanded to any other campuses. And I think that was really great for us because it gave us, you know, two full school cycles or at least one to test all the kinks. To, and, and that growth that we had during that initial incubation time, 
if we hadn't had that, we wouldn't still be here today. We really learned a lot and finessed the program. So let's talk about two things. And without getting too bogged down in statistics, I want to get your sense or help have you help us get a sense of uh, the extent of the problem uh, on, on college campuses today. How much hunger is there? How serious is it? Uh, and then a little bit about how you've kind of described almost in passing how swipe out hunger works. I'm also interested in uh, how it works today compared to how it worked when you first created it, the role that technology has played in its evolution. But let's start with just what is the, the problem that we need to be aware of to solve? This is a great question. An essential part of understanding our work is that knowing that one in three college students in the U.S. today are food insecure. And if you pay attention to the media, this might shock you because we're presenting college students as like rich sorority girls or like people who have parents that are still babying them. But in reality, one in five college students are parents themselves, right? The average age is 24 years old of a college student. A majority of college students don't live on campus. Who college is designed for today is people who, if they get that degree, their lifetime earning goes up by four times. It changes their life. It changes their family's life. And with that, we have to acknowledge that the cost of college has gone up faster than the rate of inflation, faster than the cost of real estate. It is just insane how expensive college is, not to mention the cost of living increase when we've seen wages not go up, right? The the core challenge with hunger is not that there's not enough food. It's that people don't make enough money to buy food. It's very simple, right? Like hunger is a symptom of poverty. Um, and so we pitch education and we pitch going to college as a pathway to get out of poverty. And yet our students get there and we cannot deliver on that promise. The number of challenges, even if you get financial aid, maybe you're covered the first year or two, but oftentimes most students don't have the cost of living or a meal plan covered. And just as you mentioned, these are the same students that from kindergarten through 12th grade, 30 million American students who get their primary meals every day at school are now going off to that community college across the street or going to the four-year school, and they don't have those meals they relied on. They're paying out of like an, an, an incredible amount for school. Um, and how could we be surprised to know that they're going hungry now? Because food is the easiest line item to cut, right? You back to ramen noodles. And the inequity that results from that is some students are in class having just had a bowl of amazing quinoa and kale and a kombucha. And another student is sitting there who had a chewy granola bar for lunch. The outcomes are going to be different. And so part of what you need us to do, I think, is to even think about college differently. College, for all college students, it's not ivy-covered uh, ivy colored dorm rooms. Uh, as there's kids in community, there's students and young people in community college. There's young people living off campus, uh, not necessarily having the campus resources. So, you know, when you say one in three, and I've worked on this issue for, you know, so many years, even to me, that's a shocking number. Uh, and it makes me think that I'm just not thinking about colleges as expansively as I need to. Yeah, I think that's so well said. It's understanding who is actually in college, the fact that college is so expensive. And and oftentimes parents want to be there for their, for their kids and help them, support them through that journey. But we're, we're in a really tough economic time across the country. 
Um, and oftentimes our public services are falling short. Families don't have the capacity to help. Oftentimes the students have to send money back to their families. Um, and, and, and it's, yeah, I think it's something that we as a country should be talking about more. And um, our work at Swipe Out Hunger to kind of describe what our work is, is we work both on the ground to provide immediate hunger solutions and we work systemically. So we've been able to pass bills in multiple states that have sent millions of dollars to colleges to help pay for these programs. Uh, and we also run programs on campus. And, you know, I mentioned our meal swipe program where students are able to go into the dining hall. We've had millions of dining hall swipes donated where students go in the dining hall and have this amazing meal. Um, as well as just a few weeks ago, we expanded our work. Um, we merged with another nonprofit, the College and University Food Bank Alliance. And now we help support this network um, this is one of my favorite trivia questions, Billy. How many colleges in the U.S. do you think have food pantries on them? Wow. Um, well, how many colleges are there in the U.S.? <laughs> Let's start there. That's a good question. Uh, and I don't know, but I, I, I'm going to I'm going to bet that um, you know somewhere between 100 and 200 colleges have food pantries. It's over 900. Wow. Over okay. nine. And this is a problem we're not talking about, but we've gotten to the point that colleges literally have physical spaces for students to go to, to access food. It, yeah, it, it, it seems insane. And it's uh, and again, it's not what most people think of when they think of college. Well, how's technology changed the, the way you deliver your fundamental product? You know, what I love about your idea is that it kind of, you know, marries two markets, a market that had excess supply with an, a market that had excess demand and, and, and it puts them together. Uh, has technology made the work easier? Yeah, I mean, it also it is really complementary to No Kid Hungry's model, which is the same way there are chefs out there that you're engaging in ending hunger because chefs are really good at feeding people and talking about food. We're working with food service companies and dining halls on campus who are really good at feeding people and saying, hey, there's this population that you left out. And rather than us as activists figuring out how to best feed people, let's bring you to the table, right? Um, so a lot of our work over the past few years has been working with bringing people together. So technology is a big part of that. We work, instead of creating our own app and our own tech solution, we went to the card service providers on campus that manage the ID cards and had them create functionalities for students to be able to easily and anonymously donate and other students be able to receive those swipes directly on the ID card so they can swipe in just like everyone else to the dining hall and get access to the food that they need. So Rachel, who who pushes back on this and what are the kind of the gating factors to your continued expansion? Do, do you, do you get pushback or is it just a matter of overcoming uh, in, indifference and, uh, you know, lack of, of attention or are there folks that actively push back against the idea that there's hunger on college campuses? I will say first and foremost that I've been doing this for nearly 11 years now and where we're at right now, it feels like, the Red Sea has parted and there's just so much opportunity. It feels like everyone, I mean, just a few weeks ago, we hosted a summit with Vice News and Chobani, the yogurt company, focused on college hunger. I presented, I testified before Congress last month on college student hunger. Like people are welcoming in this conversation. People are asking, how do we help? Um, people who previously didn't even know it was a problem. So 
I think this is an incredible time. More schools are stepping up to do the work. We're seeing a lot of people who want to be involved because we're seeing what the cost is. If students drop out, it's it hurts our country. Um, so it's a really exciting time. And yeah, <laughs> there's still some people who to this day um, are in denial that college student hunger is real on their very own campus, right? People who run many universities or who know it exists, but don't want to talk about it. They don't want a webpage where that indicates where students can get resources because they want to maintain an image of the ivory towers that you mentioned. They want to be a place where we take care of everyone. We don't have hungry students. And all that does is harm their students and harm our ability to make progress. So our job, you know, sometimes you try and get everyone on the boat, but sometimes you just got to keep the movement going and eventually those people will catch up. So um, we, we try and educate folks. We try and get everyone on board, but, you know, we don't need every university signed on when there are so many others who are eager to work with us. Well, I want to talk about some of the advocacy and policy work that goes into this. But before we do, you, you mentioned that you've been doing this for 11 years. And so I'm wondering, when you started, did you anticipate you'd be doing it for 11 years? And did your mom and dad uh, <laughs> understand that you'd be doing it for 11 years? And what did they think about this? I have a feeling you come from a, at least some of an activist background uh, to be doing what you're doing. But uh, I'm really curious, you know, our parents send us off to college and expect us to come out doing something different and you're doing what you did when you were in college. Yeah, it's it's so funny. Both of my parents um, are political refugees, religious refugees who left Iran after the Iranian revolution. And their stories of how they left, you know, my mom on the back of a camel traveling by night, um, their journey of building the American dream in the U.S., relying on programs like SNAP, relying on programs like free school lunch, would make you think, that like they've been putting me on this path to be an activist myself. But like many parents, especially immigrant parents, they wanted me to become a lawyer and like go off and have like this like status in American society. Um, and I'm so happy to say that they're my number one fans, number one supporters of me doing this work. They would not want me to be on any other journey. But of course, like it took a lot of explaining that I wasn't going to law school, that I am following this new dream. And I like kind of bartered with them of like, let me just do this for one more year. And then eventually I'll go back to grad school. Um, and so, yeah, never imagined when I was 18 that this would be something I'd be doing full time. But I think that's the advice I give to a lot of young people today of you don't know what your journey will be. And in fact, like you should have a plan but if you stay committed to that plan and you don't open up your blinders and see other paths that present themselves before you, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's been a blast and I can't imagine having done anything else in the world. Like every day I would ask myself, is there anywhere else in the world that one, I'd be learning more about myself and two, I'd be making more of an impact. And the answer was always no. And in addition, if it makes your parents feel any better, let them know that I went to law school at night for four years. And I did that mostly because my dad went to law school at night after World War II on the GI Bill, and I wanted to do what he did. Uh, but I went to law school for four years, and I ended up not practicing one single day ever. So, so I, I, I think the path you took might have made more sense uh, because we, we both ended up doing oh the same gosh. work, and I ended up not really using my life. Although I, I found it actually quite intellectually stimulating and 
I think it, 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 if nothing else, it teaches you how to argue well, uh, which at times we both need to do to, to make our case. Um, speaking of arguing, of advocacy, of making the case, let's talk about the policy implications uh, of this work and the, the need for policy. I know that you were instrumental in the hunger-free campus bill. You've talked a little bit about uh, some of the impact that it's had. Uh, how, do, how do we think about the right blend between the work you do on the ground and the role in which policy can help scale that work up? Yeah, I mean, one of our team members, Rob, who spent a few years at Feeding America and is now our director of advocacy, introduced me to this common phrase in the food banking world of you want to not just feed the people in line, but you want to shorten the line. And our advocacy work is really focused on that. How do we get to the point where we don't have to have people relying on our food banks because they got the support that they needed in advance or the food pantry was not a last minute response but was holistic and wrap around and offered SNAP and so on and so forth. So um, we've been really, really honored to play such a critical role in getting the hunger-free campus bill passed in New Jersey, California, uh, New Jersey, California, Minnesota, um, and Maryland. And we are very, very, very excited that it's been introduced in Massachusetts, New York, Illinois, North Carolina. We have some action in Colorado, in Florida. Like the states have really just picked up momentum around the bill. And um, my call to any hunger organizations out there is we are always looking for coalition partners to join these campaigns in these states. It's the most fun work because you're doing it with college students and college activists. Um, we've had great success with the bill. So please reach out to us if you and your coalition want to, if you and your organization want to join our state coalitions. Um, but I'll, I'll just share briefly that the reason why we got involved with that work is there was an assembly woman in California uh, Monique Limon, who reached out to us and said when she was an administrator at Santa Barbara Community College and UC Santa Barbara, she saw how our program helped her students. She reached out and said, like, will you write a bill that would take swipe out hunger to every college in California? Um, and I sent her back two different bills, had never written a bill before, but I'm a you know West Wing nerd, so this was incredibly exciting. Um, and we created a much more holistic bill where that said it was an incentive. It told schools do a little bit of work, right? Like have a food pantry or some sort of like food pop-ups, have SNAP enrollment on campus, have at least one person trained in SNAP enrollment. Um, and if you have a meal plan, give students a chance to donate it. And if you do these things, we'll support your efforts with additional funding. It was a way of us leading schools forward and showing the state that schools were taking action. Um, and since then, we've just been in awe of like what a little bit of advocacy can do and the success of the bill so far. And how are you? So you've got it's become law in four states. I assume it's you know maybe been tweaked or changed a little bit uh, in each state, or but it's pretty close to the original. How do you target the states where you want this to happen? We as an organization from day one, I mean, when students at different schools would reach out to us and say, hey, like, I want to take action on my campus. Can you send a representative out? I would always say, congratulations, you're the representative, right? This will only work if you want to do this. Um, and similarly with our state advocacy, we don't target states. Um, we really stay in relationship with many activists and advocates in those states. And when they want this to be a priority, when when they see a need for it, we step in with the data, the training, the 
whatever we need, listening into every hearing to catch any potential um, uh, slip ups and whatnot. Uh, but we really follow local leaders. And uh, am I correct that you're also doing work to train students to become leaders? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, just tactically, politicians love meeting with college students. It's a great photo. They get to feel important on the ground, meeting with grassroots leaders. So, I mean, who is better to be meeting with electeds than the people themselves who can speak with such urgency um, and, and have the like, Staying of like, I'm on my campus working every day on this issue. Why aren't you invested in our state students? So we have training programs. We have an entire for free advocacy toolkit on our website where any college student can or any young person can really go in, download it and get all the basics they need to get active as an activist um, in our advocacy work um, at the state level and beyond. So um, we are powered by, I mean, we're, our team is tiny. We're eight full-time staff right now. We're growing for sure, but we're able to operate on nearly 300 campuses because all of our programs are run by college students and college administrators working together. So um, we have an annual summit every year for our students. We have an online hub for them to connect. Um, training and empowering this generation of hunger activists is a core part of our work. There's a great story, Rachel, in the November 10th in New York Times about uh, the climate conference going on in uh, in Glasgow in Scotland. And it's about how uh, everybody who's attending the conference is more tuned in to the students than they are to the traditional political power. So much of the change is being driven by young people. So what you just described feels like really meeting the moment. I mean, this is, uh, whether it's on climate, whether it's on hunger, uh, I think uh, this generation of students has a power now. We've seen it, you know, over our history, whether it was anti-war protests or civil rights, but uh, we're at a moment now where the power of students is really profound across our society. It gives me a, a lot of hope that these problems are actually going to get solved because, um, most of the, uh, the the political sentiment of the students is not about the traditional delay and compromise and political paralysis, but like, let's get this stuff done. So uh, you're tapping into something really, really important. Yeah. I mean, if I were to place a bet on who is going to solve these problems, it's probably that bet would go on the students outside and the young people outside that are not like, you know, what I love about this generation, even younger than me is they are just so solutions and outcome oriented. They're like, we don't need to go through all these processes when we know the solution to environmental preventing environmental calamity is like literally on this paper right here, right? Like we don't need to have this pop in circumstance. And similarly, when it comes to addressing poverty and hunger and so many other issues, our students know better than anyone what the solutions are and they should be centered, especially when it comes to, to issues that impact them from environmental justice to, to ending college hunger. And um, yeah, that, it gives me hope how angsty and, <laughs> and intolerant in some ways they are. Cause yeah, there's, you know, Brian Stevenson has this in his book, he talks about um, being proximate to the people that are impacted by the injustice and when you're sitting next to that friend and you see that every day she goes to the pantry and gets that chewy granola bar and you know that's what she's relying on, 
you can't just stand there. I mean, our students have gone on hunger strikes when schools say they don't want to take action on this issue, right? Our students are not ready to just back down and, and take this um, fight lying down. So it gives me a lot of hope and it challenges me as, as I get older to not be complacent, um, but say we have the solutions. There's no good reason not to take action. So when you look uh, across the 10, 11 years that you've been doing this, do you feel like the the problem is getting better? Has it gotten worse? Is it a little bit of both? How should we, you know, over the span of a decade, think about what's happened? I really think that this is an extremely solvable problem. I mean, hunger in general, you know, we talk about the different life stages that people experience hunger, childhood hunger, senior hunger. And when we talk about college student hunger, it really is like a brief period of time where this person is experiencing food insecurity. And if they if we're able to remedy that, provide them what they need, then their their whole life changes. The country changes. The their investment back to society can be so much greater. And I'm I'm incredibly hopeful. One because I think it's my job to be. I wouldn't be in this position if I wasn't. Um, I think the issue has gained more attention. I mean, the bills we've passed are a sign of that. The fact that it took us four years to get 40 schools signed on. And then suddenly now we're on over 300 in the past few years is a sign that schools are taking this more seriously. So I'm, I'm excited about where we're headed and the ability for us to actually solve this problem very soon. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that more and more people join the movement. I hope anyone who's listening, who's curious to know more about college student hunger and the fact that it really is solvable visits our website swipehunger.org and um, gets involved and calls their alumni office and asks what are you doing to address college hunger um, I think we're really close to building the momentum we need to solve this I was going to ask you uh, what are ways that uh, young people or non-students can support your work I assume if you go to swipe, swipeouthunger.org. There's also a way to donate, to volunteer, to get involved in different ways. What are the uh, other things that people can do? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. We just created a fund to give dollars directly to college food pantries. Um, They need essential things like refrigerators, like feminine hygiene products, like basic food. Um, So anyone who wants to help us reach that 100K goal to give these grants out to campuses, you can visit our website. Um, Any student or young person that's that's listening can go to our site, see if your school's already a member, and if not, reach out and and help start a program there or get involved. Um, The work to address college student hunger is still um, really building up the momentum, and I am who I am because I stood up one day and decided to, to speak out. So I encourage anyone who's listening, whether hunger is your issue or environmentalism or racial justice, like this is such an incredible time in our in our country's history to be an activist. So follow that spark, um, even if no one in your family understands what that means. Um, and for anyone else listening, I think just tell someone that you learned about this issue and um, talk about it and, and, and figure out ways that you can make a difference at your own local community college um, and beyond. Well, I know our time is flying by here, but I was going to ask you to also give us some advice or some coaching. And I say it because I spend a a fair amount of time on college campuses, usually, you know, doing a guest lecture, something like that. I was on the campus of Boston College just last week. And uh, the students there who were just superb, we had an incredible two, three hour 
discussion, they were really pushing me on the issue. And I had told them that, you know, in the early days of Share Our Strength, we had a tagline that it takes more than food to fight hunger. You were talking about shortening the line so that people don't need to be in line to get food assistance in the first place. And in some ways, our version of that was the notion that it takes more than food to fight hunger, that we've got to find other ways to support uh, families. Everyone's in favor of feeding someone who's hungry. Uh, the politics get a little bit more complicated when you talk about empowering people to support themselves. Um, is that something that uh, it, it swipe out hunger uh, that you all have to wrestle with as well? Because I, I, I say that because at Share Our Strength, we, we really wrestle with the fact that we have developed a competency and I think we're pretty good at knowing how to get meals to kids, certainly in public schools and how to increase the participation rates in really important programs like school breakfast, school lunch, uh, the, the, the summer um, meals program, and now there's going to be a summer electronic benefits transfer uh, benefit. But uh, that still for us begs the question of what do we need to do to help these children and families not be struggling in the first place? And I'm just wondering where you are on that kind of uh, spectrum or trajectory. I mean, I will say that one of the things that still shocks me to this day is how heartbreaking um, just being exposed to the challenges that so many families face is to this day. I mean, when I graduated from college, I spent my first year as an AmeriCorps uh, fellow helping people directly enroll in SNAP and food stamps. And um, and even over the years doing this work, like I, I hope that I never get used to the challenges that our families and the people that we serve face. It's heartbreaking that we live in a country where poverty is so, it, it shackles you, right? It's incredibly hard to get out of. No matter how good we feel about the meals we serve, there is still a heartbreaking reality in our country that families are struggling every single day. Um, and so we as a hunger organization focus on what we can do um, while keeping that full context in reality. It's why when we work with a corporation, we don't just accept their dollars, but we always require some sort of programmatic changes in their operations, um, having them give us access to things we wouldn't have access to that allows us to feel like we are starting to make a difference in more and more systemic ways beyond our advocacy work. Um, and it's also a realization that like, we we alone at Swipe Out Hunger won't be able to fix economic inequality, but what we can do is continue to hear from our community that that's what we should be striving for. Um, there's a, a teaching in the Jewish tradition that says, you're not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to desist from it. And I think how we define the work really matters. Um, if our work is to just end hunger, if our work is to just provide meals, that's one. But if we see our work as like a greater vision of building a world where everyone who wants to get an education has food in their stomachs and has an educational experience that makes them feel welcome and whole and complete because they walk on that campus and instead of it being focused on things they can't afford, their campus has a culture of, hey, like, come get free food here. Come get free mental health services. This is a place for you. And we build a different world. So I think we at Swipe focus on what we can control. We keep the right the right definition of the work um, on our minds and in our culture. And um, from there, we take our students' lead, and they always hold us to task, and we're grateful for that. This has really been 
fascinating, Rachel. I was just thinking of, you know, uh, you've been doing this 11 years. Uh, I've been doing it uh, 35. I remember when I was closer in age to the students that we were working with. And as you get older, you have to start to, you know, think about how to maintain that uh, freshness and to, in, in some ways, kind of stay radicalized as, as you described. But um, I'm really, really thrilled to learn more about what you're doing. I hope as the world begins to open up and return to something like normal, we'll get a chance to uh, see you in person, maybe have you come talk to our staff at Share Our Strength. We would love that. We've got a terrific headquarters team in, in Washington, D.C., and uh, we all need to learn more about what Swipe Out Hunger is doing and the different ways that we can support it. So uh, thanks so much for spending time with us today. A real pleasure. Thank you so much, Billy. And I'll absolutely come visit the team. Can't wait. Uh, we can't wait either. We've been ta talking with Rachel Sumek, the co-founder of Swipe Out Hunger. And you can learn more about Swipe Out Hunger at swipeouthunger.org. On behalf of the entire team at Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign, my sister Debbie Shore, who's usually with me, couldn't be today, but also Kelly Griffin, Joanna Weber, our our producer Hunter Sense is productive. Thanks so much for listening. You can go to adpassionandstir.com and find all of our previous episodes and you can rate them and rank them and subscribe and share them with your friends. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I'm Billy Short.